Mark chapter 10. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's word. Mark chapter 10, we'll pick up verse 13 and uh, read down to verse 16. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's be in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would bring comfort and hope and healing, that you would restore joy, that you would strengthen families, that you would save children. God, I pray that you would call back those that have wandered from the faith. Father, I pray for those that are here today and just barely emotionally hanging on. God, would you show yourself so kind loving and merciful, would you restore the joy of our salvation? Would you help us that we might flourish as your people today? In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe see. The most basic unit of government and the keystone of any healthy society is the family, the family. If you were here last week, we went to Mark chapter 10, and we took a long passage from verse 1 to verse 12, and it's entitled, maybe in your Bible, about divorce. In fact, I think that may have been the title of my message, Jesus and Divorce, when really, really what Jesus is teaching on is marriage. And he takes us all the way back to creation. He shows us that God in his goodness gave us male and female and brought the two together in marriage. And how God created marriage for the flourishing of society. So it makes proper sense that right after talking about marriage, we find Jesus turning his attention to children. And the attention should be given to children. And, and getting the children into the kingdom of God. And in this passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 and 16, Jesus takes a real-life set of events, something that is actually happening at the time. He takes a real-life set of events, and he turns the event into a moment of teaching and showing us what saving faith looks like. That means then that this story runs on, on two rails, has two levels. One level has to do with, with children and, and doing all we can to make sure children come to the Lord Jesus. All of those responsible 
for children, bringing them to the Lord Jesus. That's one level. The second level has to do with how you are actually saved, how you get into the kingdom of God. What does saving faith look, look like? Now, this is a really uh, well-known passage. There's a song that would accompany it, talking about Jesus loving the little children, all the children of the world. And, and this passage would give credence, yes, Jesus loves the little children, but there's got to be something more to it than that. And I've been trying to get at it all week long. You know, sometimes, if, uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you may know this, sometimes um, the most familiar passages have the deepest and hard-to-get-to truth. So I started looking at the people in this passage started looking at the people and the players in this drama. So what I decided to do was use the people in this drama as, we're just going to use them as, as hooks. We're going to look at the people and hang the truth of the passage there so that we can actually see what is Jesus talking about. And there are four major players in the passage. You got the parents. They're, they're the ones on the very front end. They're bringing the kids to Jesus and then you got the disciples, the ones following Jesus. They say, no, don't bring those rotten kids over here. So you got the disciples. Then you got the children, the children who are being set in the lap of Jesus. And then, of course, you have in the center Jesus. And what I want to do is, is do all we can to make sure we set Jesus in the middle where he belongs and build the sermon around actually getting to him. What does it mean to actually get to Jesus? What does it mean to be welcomed into the kingdom of God? And what are the lessons we can walk out of here with today? Because knowing Jesus is the one thing that matters. You're looking for a point of the sermon? Here it is. Knowing Jesus is the one thing that matters. Let's go to the text. We'll start where Mark starts in verse 13. Let's start with the parents. Here's the first point uh, that I think you can pull, uh, pull from the passage. Number one, parents, get your kids to Jesus. If I can make a point out of verse 13, it would be, hey, get your kids. What does Mark tell us in verse 13? They were bringing, look at it, verse 13. They were bringing their children to him that he might touch them. So we break it down together. Okay? Verse 13, who are the they? Who is they? They were bringing their children to him. They. Could have been moms, could have been dads, could have been moms and dads, could have been single mom, single dad, could have been older brothers and sisters, it could have been grandparents, could have been aunts or uncles, whoever was in charge and had responsibility Basically, somebody had responsibility or influence over a child. They were bringing that child to Jesus. And the scene seems to be that they know this great man has come into the village. And that was part of the practice. There's a great man in the village. Bring, bring your children there so that the great man can bless him. They've heard about this great man. Let's get the kids close to this great man. I heard there's a rumor going around that he has the power to heal, maybe the power to bless. 
And the kids, the kids can't get themselves there. Somebody has to take them. Somebody has to have the wherewithal to get up in the morning or sacrifice other things that you would rather be doing and get the kids to Jesus. Also, this is written, verse 13 is written in the imperfect tense. What that means is this wasn't a one-off event. They didn't just bring the kids to an event. It is the ongoing. You're doing it over and over. They kept on bringing the kids to Jesus. Let's see if we can make some application just in case you're not getting the point yet. Maybe you take your child to see a famous athlete. Go to the game. That famous athlete is there. And by some miracle, when you are there at the game, you actually get to meet the athlete. And, and that athlete <clears throat> signs the jersey that you've got. Or maybe yours is not athletics. Maybe yours is Harry Potter. Or you go to a Star Wars event. Or you show up at the that, that purgatory called Disney. <laughs> whatever your vacation, whatever it is, what do you do? You, 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 you sacrifice, you save, you plan, you put away money, you make arrangements, and it becomes an event. You look forward to, you get there, because you know it's going to be good. Brothers and sisters, someone 10 million times greater than any athlete or any actor or Taylor Swift is here. Get your kids to Jesus. If it means changing a job, if it means rearranging a schedule, if it means missing a recital, if it means skipping a ball game, get your kids to Jesus. The world is harsh. The devil is real. The dangers are looming. Time is short. Get your kids to Jesus. They can't get here on their own. God has, for a lot of you, that you're like, I want, that's what I want. That's what I want. God has given you a heart. God has given you a heart to do it. God has given you the means to accomplishment, accomplish it. God has given you the opportunity to meet him. You won't have to wait in line. Jesus will not sign a jersey. He will do something unbelievably 10,000 times more than that. Do you know the great exchange? Maybe write, write down the, the edge of a margin. If you're taking notes, put over there the great exchange. You should understand the, what's the great exchange, what happens. The gospel is the great exchange. The great exchange that the, the Bible teaches us that Jesus does. <clears throat> Jesus being the perfect man, perfect human, the great exchange is that you and I are not perfect. We are sinners. The wages of our sin is death. We deserve death. Jesus is perfect. He deserves life. The exchange is that he will take our sin and give us his perfection. That's what happens at the cross. Jesus takes your sin. You get his righteousness. It's not a jersey. It's being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. He takes your filthy rags and whatever sin you've committed, he takes the punishment. And you get the righteousness so that when God looks at you, he brings you into his kingdom. He's a king and he will not receive people into his kingdom that are not clothed in the right clothing. That clothing 
is what Jesus gives us. Now look, if some of you are parents here, just I want you to take some, you get some wayward children. It's not on you. Your responsibility isn't to save, isn't to convert, isn't to make them Christians. You can't do that. It's not up to you. All you can do is all you can do to get them to Jesus. Notice verse 13 with me again. Notice with me again. They were bringing the children to him. They were bringing. It's what their job. Parents, your job. Maybe, it's, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you have people you have influence over. Responsibility for your job. Get them to Jesus. So verse 13. They were bringing children to him. What for? He does the touching. That he, you, you leave the saving, you leave the converting, you leave all of that to the Lord. That's what God does. You, you leave that to, you leave the saving to the kind mercy of Jesus. If I could just squeeze verse 13, it would be this. Parents, <clears throat> get your kids to Jesus. Who do you have influence over? Maybe you're not a parent. You're thinking, I'm not, I'm not a parent. Who, who is it that looks up to you? Who, who do you have the means, the wherewithal, the time, and the desire that, that you can get to Jesus? Who are you getting to Jesus? That's the parents. Let's take another look at somebody else in this passage. We looked at the parents. They're not doing, uh, they're doing really well, but let's look at somebody that's not doing well. It's the disciples. Here's the second point. Disciples. Number two. Number two is very similar to number one. Parents get your kids to Jesus. Number two, church disciples get the kids to Jesus. Join me there. When we read it this time, we're not looking at the parents in verse 13. I want you to look at the disciples and then what Jesus said. Join me there. <clears throat> they were bringing the children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples, what are they thinking? I've been following Jesus. The disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Okay, let's pause there. We'll get to the rest. When you read it, um, when you see that, you, you see the parents are trying to get, um, I heard this great man's in town, we're bringing our kids to Jesus. They're trying to get the kids to Jesus. And the disciples, they rebuke. Get them kids out of here. Nasty kids out of here. And notice, notice what it did, verse 14, the only time you'll ever see it. You've got to search the entire Bible. You won't ever find this description of Jesus. We see him angry before. We see him weeping. We see him uh, bothered. Here is, is the word indignant. Never again. It annoyed the Lord Jesus. Now, let's, let's, give, the, let's give the benefit of the doubt to the disciples. It's, it's, people don't do that anymore. We always just assume the worst. Let's give the benefit of the doubt to the disciples here. We owe that to them. Let's say that they had really, in their minds, good motives. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe they've been traveling all day, arguing with the Pharisees, and they think, you know what, he needs some time alone. He needs to rest. Or maybe they are just protecting his privacy. I mean, everywhere he goes is being mobbed by people. He could use some time just, just to unplug a minute. Give him some time alone. Keep the kids out of there. Or it could be 
I mean, Jesus now, his ministry has really grown. People are following him. He has healed people. He is, he is really being elevated in the public eye. Maybe they think he's too important. So they've created a green room. Jesus, you go and sit in the green room. Have some snacks and a Coke in there for you. And if Jesus walks by, don't look him in the face. Don't look at him. He's too important. Maybe that's what, the, maybe they just, they think they're elevating Jesus by doing that. And if that's the case, he can't be bothered by these street urchins. Get him out of here. So let's just say that the disciples are doing that. Maybe in their heart, they thought they were doing something to serve Jesus. They were trying to protect Jesus. And in the meantime, even though they think they're serving Jesus, they're missing the entire point. They're missing the whole reason that Jesus has come. Be careful now, be careful. If you, even when you have solid motives, solid motives can be behind colossal mistakes. Good intentions have, have served as the pavement for a highway right to hell. Don't let good intentions, don't let good intentions get in the way. Don't let good intentions make it so that you overrun the ministry of getting kids, children to Jesus. Hickory Grove, God has given us great resources. Those resources get trampled on. Man in our Harris campus, we've got a school there, 700 and something kids come in and out of that school. Our Hickory Grove Christian School is a genuine Christian school where it's not just Christian worldview. The, the leaders are all Bible-believing, love God, love the Bible, love the students. They're, they're, they're living the gospel as well as teaching the gospel. But it, is, it plays havoc with our buildings, with our facilities. I was coming down the steps today getting ready to go into the sanctuary for the first service and stepped on some chewing gum. I know some rotten kid put that there. I, I stepped, what, it was my own fault. I saw it and kicked it, so then now it's on my shoe. I mean, that's the sort of thing. It happens here, too. In our community groups, community groups here at Mallet Creek or before church, and it's pretty early getting them there. It's difficult. I mean, we have a while at 6.15. That's 15 minutes before our other Wednesday night programming. And to do that, you got to fight all the wild traffic around here. It's a maze to get in. you got to go, got some traffic circles. It's hard to get in. And it takes an army of adults to make it happen, to put it on. And, and Wednesday is a long day. We have our CLT weekend coming up. It's all the advertisement on the screen. Hundreds of kids in here. We're pouring resources. Why do we do that? Why do, we, why do we put up with crying babies? One thing is God has given me a loud voice and I'll just preach right through it. That don't mean I like it. I'll just keep on preaching. It, it, we are not called here to protect facilities. Why do we expend the resources for camp? Why do we put much, as much attention onto our students? Why do we do that? Why do I have student mission trips? What, what is that about? Do you know that the overwhelming majority of people that ever come to Jesus Christ, they become Christians before they turn 18? 
In other words, when they're kids. And if they don't find love and welcome and truth at Hickory Grove, they'll find it in the devil's world. Now look, I'm not saying we condone sin. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we've got to show them that Jesus, that he is better than any deranged, fleeting entertainment of that hellish culture out there. That we actually do have something better. So what do we do? We stay late, we put up with stuff, we have headaches, we spend resources, patient, flexible, and we, we find a way to make sure that children and their families, that we are pointing them and getting them regardless to Jesus. Truthfully, otherwise, what is all this for? What is this for? The Lord's Day on Sunday, the Lord's Day. We call it that because that's the day God raised him from the dead. We have a victory on Sunday. The Lord's Day is designed for the body of believers to come together and worship. What does Hickory Grove do? We worship. We lift up the name of Christ. We pray together, read the Bible, we sing. It reminds us of our solidarity in Christ. It reminds us that we are brothers and sisters, that we are part of the family of God. We do that, it strengthens our hearts. We come in after a hard week. What for? To hear the word of God that reminds us of the truth that breathes life into our souls. We do all of that and we make disciples. We gather up in our community groups and go over the Bible, talk it through, have fellowship, have community. We, we focus on what does God's word teach so that there's discipleship. So we worship, we make disciples. It's what Awana is about, making disciples. And, and then we, what happens is if you worship, and you grow in Christ through the Bible and your own personal study. You desire to do something. We call that mission. So it's not just trips. We start living on mission. And we take all of that and we pass it down to the next generation, our children. I mean, you read this, you, you see parents get your kids to Jesus. But not just parents, us, church. We're responsible. Don't let things get in the way. Church, get the kids to Jesus. That's two, two players, parents, disciples. Now let's look at the man in the middle. Let's look at Jesus, my third point, number three. Why do we get them to Jesus? Number three, because there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. You find it in verses 14, 15, and 16. We looked at the parents, we looked at the disciples. Now let's look at Jesus. There's several things to notice about what Jesus did before we get to what Jesus taught. We're going to get to what, what he teaches, but before we get there, I just want to look at what he did. Join me there, verse 13. They were bringing the children to him. What for? That he might touch them. Touch put his hands to touch them with healing, to touch them with, with blessing, to touch them with warmth and assurance, giving confidence, giving strength, calming them down. I mean, it means, it's a nonverbal, it means so much. 
I mean, it's too bad that the world's gotten so foul that we've forgotten the power of human touch. Connie and I can be sitting somewhere, and she can sense that I am getting ready to either say or do something that is career-ending. <laughs> and I don't know if it's self-preservation or what, but she can just reach over and just, you know. You see them there, verse 13. I mean, they're bringing the kids, and I mean, there's something in the ministry there that Jesus and I don't, I, want, I don't want to go further than the text goes, but just to see him doing that, to touch. Something else he did in verse 13 and 14. Uh, we'll never see this again. It's an amazing, uh, an amazing word. Verse 13 and 14, look at the, indignant, the word indignant. They were bringing the children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked the parents. Kids out of here. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Circle that word. You'll never see that again. He was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. That word indignant, so you, when you find a word in the New Testament, you want to find its meaning, you go and look at other verses where it's used, and you compare them, see how it's used, and then you can get kind of a feel what the word means. So, But this word's not used anywhere else, and so you flip to the New Testament, it's nowhere. So you go back outside of the New Testament Greek, into other literature and you bring that meaning back and what you find is this word he's indignant he's frustrated he's annoyed he's irritated at the disciples because they are preventing the children from coming to him if he is irritated at that that's on what side of the coin flip it over what's on the other side on the other side must be the complete opposite if he's irritated at keeping children away from him, then he must be pleased when you bring the children to him. Please God, we please God by setting the kids in front of Jesus. I mean, his anger, his being annoyed, his anger is reserved for anyone who will keep the kids from him. Remember a couple of weeks back when we, in, in Mark chapter 9, what Jesus said, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So that's his rebuke. Now let's see what else he did. Come down to verse 16. Verse 16, you should love verse 16. You've ever had, had a child die? If you've lost a child, you should love verse 16. If you've lost an infant, so hard. You should love verse 16. If you've ever had a miscarriage, verse 16. Look what the text says in verse 16. The children came to him and, and he, he took them. I mean, isn't it beautiful? He took them in his arms he blessed them. He laid his hands on them. What a beautiful picture of Jesus holding the children close. If you ever lost a kid, don't get, get this in your head right here. This picture. Circle it. And let this one little verse minister to your soul. Or maybe... 
Maybe you're like one of those kids, you came up unloved. It never was a good home. You never had a good home life. You never had that. Or maybe you were taken for granted. Maybe you just feel, feel cold or possibly you've been mistreated or, or, or God forbid, been abused. Verse 16, that's for you now. I want you to run now. You run to the arms of Jesus. You find love there in Jesus. Why? Because there is hope in Jesus. Okay, so we've looked at the parents. Looked at the parents. Parents, get your kids to Jesus. We've looked at the disciples. Church, get the kids to Jesus. We found out why. Because there is hope in Jesus. Now, let's, take a, let's, let's look at the children. And I'll make this the last point. Let's look at the children. Number four, we need to take the right approach to Jesus. What is saving faith? Here's what Jesus does now. He takes this event that really was a bad event. The disciples made a terrible mistake. Jesus takes this event as a teaching moment. But the teaching is not about children. The teaching is about saving faith. Look at the lesson of verse 14 and 15. Look at the lesson. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Pause. Get it in your mind. Come to Jesus. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay, verse 15. Look at verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. Pause. There are, there's a parallel here. Verse 14. Come to me. Verse 15. Receive the kingdom of God. Put the two together. To come to Jesus is to receive the kingdom of God. How do you come to Jesus? So hear the gospel. I tried to talk about it with a great exchange. Here's a second time to hear the gospel. The Bible teaches us that God has created you in his image. The image of God in you has been disfigured by your sin. That sin is a crime against a holy God. Because of that, you stand under judgment, condemnation. God in His mercy has given us Jesus, the perfect God-man. He lived like we should have. He kept all of God's law, earned righteousness as a man. And the great exchange is, if you believe, if you trust that Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment you deserve, and gives you his righteousness. And if you believe that alone saves you, that is coming to Jesus. That is believing. That is receiving the kingdom of God. If that's not enough, there's another lesson here. It's verse 15. And that lesson is about child, childlike faith. Now look, I'm going to read it to you. And don't don't uh, make this sentimental. Don't, don't make childlike faith sentimental. Verse 15. <clears throat> Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Don't sentimentalize this. Don't say that uh, childlike faith is it's innocent and they're in awe and there's wonder. Look, that's a Hallmark card. That's not the gospel. Why? Because the children are not innocent. What did the old Presbyterian pastor say? Doing a infant baptism? That that child is a viper in a diaper. 
No, you, if you have an 18-month-old, two-year-old, they are not completely innocent. So, so don't think Jesus is saying, just come in, in awe and wonder and innocent. No. That day and time, children were, would be insignificant. They would be weak, helpless, dependent. They would be without the ability to make a contribution. If you have a two-year-old, they're dependent on you. Entirely de- Somebody have adult children entirely dependent on you. The point is that when Jesus says, receive like a child, (coughs) it's the understanding that you are entirely dependent, devoid of an agenda, total trust. What does the song say? Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. Saving faith is, is the insignificant, dependent you putting your complete trust in the gift of God found in Christ and receiving His life for yours and His substitute on the cross for the punishment you deserve and His perfection and His power to save. What did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You understand that knowing Jesus is the one thing that matters. Like a child today, won't you come to Jesus? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord, in a moment of prayer and commitment, we're going to sing another song and we'll make this a song of commitment. Today as we sing, if you'd like someone to pray with you or pray for you, we would invite you to come forward. Our pastors are down here. You want to pray for your child? You're having a hard time entrusting them to the grace of the Lord. Maybe you've heard something that today gave you a sense of peace and freedom and you you feel loved by God. Maybe you're just reminded today of God's love for you in Christ. You need somebody to pray with you. Or maybe for the first time you've understood, I, I don't have to work and do something to get God to love me. I can receive the kingdom like a child. If that's the case, we want to pray with you and talk to you about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. A good way to do that is to come forward while we're singing, talk to one of our pastors. If you're not comfortable with that, our pastors will all be in the lobby after church. We talk through what it means to come to Christ. Father, Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that you give us in Jesus, for the truth of the Bible, for the assurance of salvation found in Christ, for the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the perfect Father pray for strength and hope. Pray that you'd find us faithful. Pray that at Hickory Grove there are not barriers to coming to Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.